This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. Golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore, and Star Trek, particularly the original series, is well known for its flowery, referential and dare I say occasionally pretentious episode titles. Uh, there are many titles in the original series that have always confused me. And sure, there's a few Shakespeare references and biblical callbacks here and there, but beyond even those, there are some that, to this day, I find are open to interpretation. So today on Standard Orbit, we're going to discuss these and see what meaning we can glean from them and how they might be applied to the actual episode, because I know there's a lot where it's like, what is this talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a great idea and one that's fun to review because, you know, back in the day when we were ultra nerds and, you know, we were able to discuss meanings of many of these shows and act as though we were Shakespeare experts, you know, prior to reading his plays and coming off so sophisticated. Um, you know, I, I it's just kind of what was going on back then when I was that age anyway. But I, I like it when a title is obscure and different and open to interpretation. Because, um, you know, today things are, are very direct and, and, and it, it all falls in line. So I think I learned a lot going back and looking at these titles back in the day and playing with it with, uh, with my friends or seeing, you know, who is smarter. But um, I have to admit, I go back and I look at these now and I'm going, I don't really remember exactly why they named this that way or whatnot. So I, I think we're going to need some help on some of these. Yeah, so if we don't immediately know the answer, please let us know in the Babel Conference <laughs> what that answer is. <laughs> We'd appreciate it. Uh, Halo frequencies are open for that. Before we get into it here, Ken, you know, let, let's talk about the Star Trek. Obviously came out in the 60s, and back then it was in vogue, I guess, to show the episode title on the screen. Uh, and then Star Trek, of course, continued that tradition all the way through Enterprise. Two things. One, I'm curious to see if Discovery will continue that trend. What do you think? If you had to say right now, do you think Discovery will show us episode titles? I on do. The screen? I do. You think and, so? and I, I do for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of the people that were on it have been involved with Star Trek forever, and they they like to keep those traditions around. The fans like it, you know, so they like to do the things that the fans like. Two, you got Nicholas Meyer, who's part of the team. So I'm only guessing that these these titles are going to be even more obscure. That's a good point. <laughs> well, yeah, pull out your Shakespeare and your Sherlock Holmes to figure out what the Discovery episodes are going to be about. <laughs> That's right. So, secondly, though, uh, what, what do you think that? How, how do you feel that most shows, in fact, all shows, <laughs> to my knowledge, right now on TV, 
don't show you the episode title on the screen. Are you, are you disappointed by that? Do you care? Does it matter? I mean, just growing up watching Star Trek my whole life, I just thought that's how TV shows did it. And like, oh, I'm going to watch The Twilight Zone. Oh, look, there's the title. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to watch The Outer Limits. Oh, there's the title, right? So it's my own fault for growing up on 60s television reruns and stuff. Uh, but, you know, I think all these shows have titles. You look in the TV guide, you know, you look on the uh, on the internet, right? Uh, like episode, episode 21 of season three of whatever show, they all have titles, but they never show them on air. I'm like, would it really kill them to show the title? Because they show the other credits. Like you see guest starring, executive producer, written by, directed by, all the other things. But you don't see the title of the episode. So does do you care? Does that matter to you at all, Ken? You know, it doesn't, I guess, because until you asked me the question, it, it never really occurred to me too much. I, I, I like the fact that, uh, like you, about watching Star Trek all along, that... I think because it's it makes it a lot more convenient when we're talking about the different shows that and so so many people are such experts on the episodes. It's amazing to me. I think I think it's a rarity that as many people that are fans of a show know the names of all the episodes, right? And they do, I, and you do. I, I know that you throw up something and 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 I'm stumbling. It could be Next Generation. It could be DS Nine, and you're like, boom. Here it is, and, uh, and and that impresses me, and I think that's something that's unique in this community. Outside of this community, I, I, I you know, I don't know if it's talked to as much or if it's even brought up. Uh, just, just, just don't see it, just don't hear it. I could be ignorant. There could be more of that than I realize, but I think it's I think it's something special and unique for Star Trek and Star Trek fans. I know other I know other shows do it. I get it, uh, and that was definitely a '60s '70s thing. But um, no, for me, it's it, it's kind of what makes Star Trek kind of special, you know, and it keeps it keeps it unique as as they keep up with a a tradition that that most people seem to really enjoy, and other shows just just do their own thing, and it, it goes right by me. Yeah, well, I agree, and I hope they continue. To your point, I hope they continue that tradition with Star Trek Discovery. So let's get into our discussion proper. I think no better episode to start out with than this one. I'm of course talking about what are little girls made of sugar and spice and everything nice yes we know but that's never mentioned in the episode at all like you think there would be some tag scene with everybody on the bridge and kirk saying that to himself and spock says spice captain <laughs> or something like that right <laughs> i guess so so but but so what did you what did you take how does that apply to this episode to you ken ah because it dealt with kids right and that's that's to me was was very obvious. I thought it was a brilliant title for the episode. It, it you know, it, it shows you that they could be made of, of uh, you know, a, 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 what was it a, was it a disease? I'm not sure exactly what it was. I think, but, now, Ken, but I'm they, gonna I'm gonna call you out here, my friend. Yeah, you, you, you were thinking of Miri. Oh, I am thinking of Miri. <laughs> See, this this is exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> If you can't even remember the right episode, it's clearly a wrong, inappropriate title. <laughs> Jeez, do I keep that in there or do I act like an idiot? <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know if we should keep it in or not. We'll find out. <laughs> I guess it's your call, right? But it kind of don't. You know, I think I will leave it in, Ken, because it, it proves the point of what a what a what a weird title for this episode. Now this now this, this is they, Corby, right? Yeah, this, this is, is Roger Corby. Okay, so, the, so the this episode is, this we're is talking the clone about is the, episode. The androids, yes, on yeah, episode the cloning, three. Cloning, yeah, yeah. So yes, so you're right. Uh, what are little girls made of? Would have been a much more appropriate title for Miri. 
which is a pretty unoriginal title as far as Star Trek goes, the name of a character in the episode. One word. That's rare for Star Trek. But yeah, so what are little girls made of? You know, this is Nurse Chapel's ex-fiance. Thought he was right. lost. He's, you know, found an ancient civilization. He's making androids. Um, he's making androids. What are little girls made of? I mean, he made Andrea. He uh, made his... Uh, other the other scientist guy who dies in the first five minutes of the show it's, uh so it's androids making said. androids right yeah i mean, I mean he makes he makes a kirk you know but yeah. uh but still so i, I think you know I, I think it could not be better <laughs> illustrated than you thinking of a different episode when i, I brought this I one up, literally huh? was yeah i literally was <laughs> and that's that's kind of funny humbling i feel like an idiot but that's okay uh, because, you know, when, when I think back and I go back through this episode in particular, to me, you know, it's it's a, it's a really good episode. I, I really like this. Um, I agree. Not, not many people talk about it, but it's legitimately one of my favorite episodes of the original yeah, series. Yeah, it, it's, it's really cool because it, it starts to touch on stuff that we see more and more in Star Trek as time goes on. Uh, not, not a lot in the original series, but, you know, somewhat. But, you know, androids and robots and things like that, you know, they... Other than data, they really don't exist, um, except for some other ripoff episodes in TNG, right? Where they where they kind of go in the same direction, where scientists want to live forever and that stuff. It's it it becomes a little tropish. However, uh, this one in particular was really good, and and so when you really dive into what little girls are made of, it's obviously a a mold and DNA. Right? Yeah, it's a, a green lump of clay. <laughs> that's that spins like crazy yeah it spins like a helicopter but i question the uh, the science behind that but sure you know i guess all those buttons they push on the wall do some do some interesting stuff but, yep <laughs> so yeah so uh, you know i've never read like the explanation of why they titled this maybe there is one was there a scene they wrote and it eventually like through two or three drafts of the script it got dropped but the title stuck with it um that's always a possibility which is exactly what happened in the next episode, we're going to talk about here, The City on the Edge of Forever. Uh, the most famous Star Trek episode, perhaps. Most people think it's the best episode of the entire franchise. Regardless, it's a classic. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. But the title, what is The City on the Edge of Forever, Ken? In the, just looking at it in the episode itself, how do you apply it? It makes no sense to me. I mean, here they are, <laughs> stealing Spock's brain, right? <laughs> <laughs> There we go. He's going to own it. He's going to own it, guys. I'm going to own it. It's a brilliant title for a brilliant episode. It just it just fits. It's it's obviously a great metaphor. And uh I I always thought this this title rocked. Uh I thought it was it was very very clever considering the plot. And because it is a a powerful episode, it has an equally powerful title, one that pulls you pulls you right in, I think. Uh, so, uh, you know, how they came up with it originally, uh, or how Allison came up with it, I, I'm not so sure. I know you said it was changed. However, it fits. It fits It fits like a glove for this episode. Well, yeah, I agree that even in the episode that, as it stands, it totally works, because you'd be thinking about, is it New York, forever, time? You know, it's it, mm-hmm. there's so many, it's so vague, it applies to anything, and just, it's very romantic, right, flowery. So. Is that what you came up with? You see, I, I very different. So I'm thinking 60s, I'm thinking Cold War, and I'm thinking, you know, we were literally living on the edge of forever or, the, okay. or the, you know, um, it, it, during that, that time frame, you know, w- growing up in the 70s and 80s, uh, and, and for those that grew up, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s, uh, 
you know, just just that 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 feel like you were always on the edge. That that one in an instant it could all be gone, and that's exactly how this title fit hit me anyway. As as you know, being familiar with this episode, that you know, in a blink of an eye, it's it's all over. And in this case, it was the same thing, right? It really was. McCoy goes into a uh, into the Guardian uh, of Forever, and in a blink, everything was gone. And that's that's how I saw it. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I guess I always just thought it was some flowery, vague, you know, romantic science fiction title. I never saw it through those terms. Interesting. But the uh, original intention of the title was a reference to where the Guardian was. He was supposed to be in the center of this city that goes on forever. And the original script, obviously, you know, it's infamous that Harlan Ellison had a very different version of the city on the edge of forever, which he came out with his own book about. Highly recommend everybody check that out. It recently came out with a radio play about it this past year. Very interesting stuff. But uh, in its original conception, this was a reference to the uh, the city of ruins surrounding the Guardian of Forever. Uh, that, you know, then when they beam down. Of course, on the 1960s television budget, it's just some Roman columns <laughs> and a matte painting. <laughs> but it gets the point across. So. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, it, it did do that. But it is funny hearing you say... You know how you interpreted it as being flowerly and and all that, and I'm just going, geez, you know, never in a million years w- would it come across like that. It came across as powerful, scary, deadly, challenging, all those things. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's that's where I am on that one. Cool, cool. Well, the next one is Friday's Child. What's this one about, Ken? I want to t- <laughs> I want to test you now. <laughs> <laughs> Now you're just being mean. <laughs> I guess I was going back to reference mm-hmm. what this uh, to see if there was any kind of name correlation with this. Once yeah. you said what it was, I knew what it was, and I, I, I hated this episode. I just yeah, it's it. it's not very good. It's no. it's it's awful, and you know it's like, eh. but uh, you know, and Julie Newmar for being so um, so popular even back then, her character just did nothing for me, but. Um, no, it, it there's there's no. I, I just thought I'd Google the uh, Friday's Child to see what what pops up, and I'm trying to see how it would relate to this. Really doesn't. Is there a fable or something out there that 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 fits this somehow, some way? Because that's not really what this episode is really about either. But I, I don't know. So after a little research, I discovered that this episode's title is a reference to an old English poem, kind of like a nursery rhyme, uh, called Monday's Child. And here's how it goes. Monday's child is fair of face, Tuesday's child is full of grace, Wednesday's child is full of woe, Thursday's child has far to go, Friday's child is loving and giving, Saturday's child works hard for a living, but the child who was born on the Sabbath day is bonny and blithe and good and gay. So that is that, that's from the 1800s, and yeah, just a nursery rhyme, Friday's child loving and giving, yes, I mean, you know, everybody thinks babies are loving and giving and you know they are they're innocent they've just come into this world they know nothing but but you and the, and the what you you know give into them so um i guess sure that worked they could they could have picked anything they could i mean it would have been more appropriate almost to say to call some wednesday wednesday's child uh full of woe because of all the drama that this episode creates but anyway so that that is what my research came up with um uh, so yes there is the terms Friday's child are used in literature somewhere before this episode of Star Trek, and that's pretty much the only connection that, that I could find. So the next one I have on the list here is the immunity syndrome. 
to me, this sounded like like the Andromeda Strain or something, you know, something like hard sci-fi, high concept, crazy stuff going on. But how does it apply to the episode? Because of course, this is the one with the giant amoeba that's going to spawn and you know overwrite our galaxy. And the Enterprise has to stop it. So I'm not quite sure how the Immunity Syndrome title applies to the events of this episode. What about you, Ken? I, I just took it as they were they were the cure to this disease. And they were the ones that were going to be the immunity, I guess, for, for the galaxy. Uh, that this thing was going to grow. I, maybe I was very, very literal into it. One, I think it's a brilliant title for the episode. I think it's, it's a great title. It's a great, it's yeah. a very striking title, yeah. But it's a, isn't it a contradiction? right? Immunity syndrome, right? Because if you're immune, you're not going to get the syndrome. So I don't know. That's, I, I thought it was a cool contradiction of a title. Never really sure what it meant, but I just like, okay, cool. Yeah. I, I guess I just took it as being them uh, in a very clinical medical sense. And I see what you're saying. It is kind of a, um, it's not really an oxymoron, but um I don't know. The, to me, the title always worked, and it seemed to fit. So I, I didn't. well, that, that's why it is memorable because it does contradict itself. You're like that makes you fascinated. Like, what is this about? And then by the time you, you're watching it, you're like you're so caught up in the story, you're not really thinking about the title anymore. But then when it's over, I'm like, why was it called the Immunity Syndrome? So that's that's why I put it on the list. So the next one on our list is Return to Tomorrow. Uh, not to be confused with the making of Star Trek: The Motion Picture Book that came out recently, <laughs> uh, which is also called Return to Tomorrow. Uh, now, this is a another flowery... You could put this title on anything. Like, I, I could see this title like on a pulp novel, you know, from the from the 40s or 50s. Uh, it could be like... I don't know. An ep- it could be a, the name of a soap opera. <laughs> you know, it just it could apply to anything, I think. What, what are your thoughts on Return to Tomorrow, Ken? Yeah, you know, it, it's a deep episode. I, I, um, I, I think it's a appropriate the way I, the way i guess i i read it when i saw it way back in the day was you know in in 6000 years 10000 years 15 whatever how many years it's supposed to be um where everything went south um that's where we'll be right we're we're going to be there um the human race and so maybe that's why i was like well it's a return to tomorrow so they're they're discovering what what would happen to earth um um many years in the future i don't know and then that that's that i guess it fits but you're right you know the episode uh, the episode one uh, it's only okay i know it was uh um diana was it um was it Muldaur? yeah Mar- dr pulaski yeah dr pulaski yeah that's where she made her her, her star trek debut i think mm-hmm. was she in two episodes she isn't she, she'll, she'll be coming up again on our list here so <laughs> yeah 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 so okay now all right so uh, thank you so yeah I, I i i i you know i remember that 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 kind of a kind of a cool piece but yeah i i to me it it kind of hits it on the head or it did um i, I didn't think much more 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 of it than that it can mean a lot of things it's so again it's just so vague right i mean they have the it's these people that have survived a war and they're building android android bodies they could return to you know having physical form but it's the future because they've been in hibernation or in stasis for 10,000 years so uh, again kind of a much like the immunity syndrome return to tomorrow a contradiction of terms but that is what makes it a fascinating intriguing title so you, you want to see what it's all about so uh you know they could have called this episode 100 things but they chose this and 
sure it's a cool it's a cool title but it's one of those where like if you if you're looking at a list of titles it's going to take you a minute to remember what this one was about right i mean there's some titles like the apple or the changeling like okay yeah that one that one right yeah you'll never forget those right return to tomorrow (laughs) so (laughs) it's you know one step beyond you know just some some goofy show it could be the title of but uh so the next one i have on the list here is bread and circuses now when when i was younger you know like you know watching star trek i was like bread and circuses what is this i mean they're gladiator fighting there's no i expected like ringling brothers and you know barnum and bailey going on in this episode right <laughs> but of course it's not about that what is what does the title truly mean ken well having done a little research on this one um bread and circuses is is was was roman for extreme or extravagant entertainment right and this whole episode was about uh, gladiator fights uh, in modern times, you know, mid-60s in full color, uh, watching people square off and fight in the arena. So it was, it was you know, entertainment to the death, so to speak. And, and so that made a lot more sense to me. Uh, like you, when I was, was a lot younger, I did not understand the correlation. Now that I do, and you check it out, you're like, oh, that's brilliant. You know, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, and I'm quite sure that the um, the level of people's knowledge, whether it's history or uh, through literature or whatever, was probably a little bit stronger back in the day than it is today. So a lot of these things, it wouldn't have been quite the leap. Um, my mom, my mother was a, a Latin teacher, right? And so there was a lot of aspects of things that, you know, I look back and say, yeah, I should have known that because she, she knew a lot about this stuff. Uh, didn't talk about it that, that much, but wasn't a Star Trek fan either. So it wasn't like I could say, hey, you know, does this bread and circus mean anything? Uh, and, and I'm sure she would have been like lightning telling me what it was. But uh, great, great title for, I think, a, a very good episode, a very strong episode. And, um, and uh, they, they did it right. Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, even today, you hear people use the term bread and circuses. Like when they talk about, you know, the NFL, right? Bread and circuses, you know, let's, let's distract you from, you know, what's going on in the world with entertainment and, you know, everything has its place. Right. But the whole idea of the, you know, bread and circuses is truly like, you know, we got bad stuff going on guys, but here, just mindlessly entertain yourself with this over here. And don't worry about the bigger troubles going on. And, you know, as you know, social media and, you know, the entertainment industry has gotten so big. I mean, I, that's a real, like concern i think is there's a lot of uninformed people out there who just assimilate whatever they want and then you know as far as entertainment goes and and have no real concept of you know the world at large you know i'm not saying everybody needs to be a you know political science major but you know it's good to know what's going on in the world around you so yep absolutely anyway what's uh coming up next we have uh, and the children shall lead and, you know, the only reference I could find to this is it's a biblical reference. It's from uh, Isaiah 11, 6. Uh, and uh, to quote the New International Version of the Bible, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion, and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. So that is the only real literary connection. Uh, other than the fact that there are children in this episode, I have no idea why they picked this title for this amazing episode of the original series. How about you, Ken? Yeah, they, it could have been... Um, if we could... You know, you had Children of the Corn, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you think about this episode, how, how could you spin it? Um, and the children shall lead. They're possessed children. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. It, it, to me, I thought it was a very pro- prophetic um, 
very prophetic title. Uh, I, I guess it, it works. It's probably less um, less ob- uh, less obscure than a lot of the other a lot of the other titles, um, just because of of what goes on in this episode. Well, they, see, this is what I'm saying. Like when I mentioned they were pretentious, like okay, now we're getting pretentious. Now we're getting pretentious. Like, and the children shall lead. And like, oh, let's quote the Bible. That's gonna be. It's like well, that's completely unnecessary for this. And I was joking, but this is a terrible episode. This is this is probably the worst episode of Star Trek. This episode here, some some say Spock's brain. I say, and the children shall lead. <laughs> but uh, you know that that's you know, taste is objective. Or it's subjective. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Taste is objective. You're wrong, Ken. You're wrong. Uh, taste is subjective. So uh, it's like amazing episode, how wrong we are. Amazing how wrong we are. So yeah. So that's that one. Um, a, an unnecessary callback to the Bible from a very bad episode of Star Trek: The Original Series. So the next one on our list is there in truth no beauty? Now this title, you know, even even in episode guides and like books, I'm talking like not the TV guide, I'm talking like Star Trek episode guides, they've gotten all the order of these words wrong. Like, <laughs> like there's many a typo when it comes to this title. Someone says, there is no truth in beauty. You know, is there no beauty in truth? I've seen all the variations and the, and the miss. It's not a misspelling. It's just the rearrangement of all the words is incorrect because it's an interesting arrangement of the words. And this is, this is actually from a poem. Uh, it is from the second line of the poem Jordan by English poet and clergyman George Herbert. So, this one, I mean, you could, man, you could have called this episode Eye of the Beholder, right? Because it's about <laughs> Kolos is, is the, um, the Medusan, and you can't look at him, but uh, Miranda Jones, played by Dana Mordal, as we mentioned earlier, uh, she's blind, spoilers, so she can, uh, <laughs> so she can look at him. Weren't you, ama- weren't you amazed at that the first time you saw her? I, I wasn't, because my dad spoiled it for me. It Damn was when- <laughs> dad. Mr. <laughs> Moore. This is when, so we're watching, you know, when the Sci-Fi Channel special editions came out in 98, uh, there were a lot of episodes of the original series I'd never seen, so we're just sitting there watching it, and then, like, they open up the case, and she's looking right at Kolos and talking to him, and my dad's like, because she's blind! I was like, I didn't, I haven't seen this one, Dad. I know, I know you've seen it, like, 50 times, but, <laughs> spoilers, you know, so I know, <laughs> I distinctly remember being, like... Oh, okay. Well, that's that. Jeez, thanks, Dad. <laughs> exactly. So this is a vague enough title where it can apply to me. It could apply to the episode in many ways, but they all work. You know, like some, some, like we were talking about Return to Tomorrow. Like that could be anything. That's like way too wide in scope. But is there in truth no beauty? That's that's cool, and it sounds like man, this sounds like whoever wrote this like read a book. Man, this is high line of thinking, high level of thinking here, and I think it applies to what's going on here. Yeah, it works. It works. I, I like this episode a lot. I really did. I thought it was clever. Um, like I said, maybe maybe I was younger and my dad didn't spoil it. Not that my dad ever watched Star Trek. <laughs> so it had it had a bigger impact on me, and uh, I really liked it. All right, the next one on our list here is Whom Gods Destroy. This is an episode that you know actually I really like. It's very it's very entertaining, and uh, the title is based off an anonymous Greek proverb, often wrongly attributed to Euripides. And quoted by Henry Wadsworth, Longfellow, in The Mask of Pandora. Quote, whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad. Doesn't that fit perfectly? Huh? <laughs> that, that, that actually applies perfectly to this episode. Uh, because, of course, it's about madness. And I love how they say, we, we have the cure for all mental illness. I'm like, do you really? What? <laughs> but that's what, they've, that's what they've come to deliver to this uh 
to this colony, to this uh, hospital in space, uh, if you will. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Garth is insane and everyone around him is insane. And, you know, the, the inmates have truly taken over the asylum in this episode. So Whom God Destroyed, when you saw this for the first time and you heard this title, did, did what did you think it meant? What did you, how did you think it applied to this episode? I thought it applied directly to Garth, uh, that even though he, he it, it was a metaphor, you know, for being a, a fleet captain or a or a famous leader, and um, you know, a lot of his exploits were, you know, were, were bigger than life. Kirk's hero, all that kind of stuff, and you know, I guess I kind of taken it that no matter how how strong or powerful you are. Uh, you can fall, or you be can, you can become victim to to disease or whatnot. We see that all the time, right? Uh, and and so I, I I took it metaphorically as, you know, um, his his greatness. Uh, even though he he had done a lot of great things, he he couldn't beat this, and uh, and no humans as powerful as a god type of thing. That's that's how I remember reflecting on it. No, that's cool. No, I see, and that's what's cool about these Star Trek titles because you're not really sure what they mean, but you bring your own meaning to it, your own interpretation of the story. So, I mean, that's why it's cool when you have these vague titles. You're like, what? What did that mean? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, our our next one, on the other hand, uh, the Mark of Gideon, right? Obviously, it's about overpopulation. This planet has too many people on it. Although they they take up valuable space to build a life size replica of the Enterprise, which you know. That takes up a lot of space, but uh, anyway, I uh, I don't know why this episode is called this. Obviously, Gideon is a character in the Bible, but that did not apply to anything, any of the themes or story beats in this episode, to my knowledge, Ken. Well, um, the planet's name was Gideon. Right. No, I, I get that. <laughs> But yeah, so, like, so, why do they name it that? Like, to me, uh, I don't know. Just to play on words, I guess. Well, I, I, okay, well, yeah, I get that. But I, I felt like they, they, oh yeah, Gideon. Let's call the planet that, and we'll title it that. Like, I felt like those, that was why they did it. Oh, I, guess, I see. So I they, guess they worked their way backwards into what you're saying. That was my thinking, and I was trying to find like any kind of reference or you know. You see, the only thing about Gideon in the Bible, like he has doubts and God has to, you know, goes back and forth with him about his doubts to go into battle the next day and that kind of thing. But that doesn't apply to this episode at all. So I was thinking that, they, yes, to your point, they worked backward. They said, oh, we want to reference this. Let's name the planet Gideon so we have an excuse to call it uh, the Mark of Gideon. Uh, but yeah, you, you're saying like, yeah, they just picked a cool a cool name and named the planet that. I mean, they could just be mining the biblical text for cool names. And Gideon is certainly a, a cool name. I wouldn't name my son Gideon or anything no offense to any of you who are called Gideon but uh oh boy here you go <laughs> too late Gideon Moore I mean, maybe we'll see <laughs> uh, G- anyway G- Gideon, Gideon's a cool name guys <laughs> moving on <laughs> pull up pull up um so the next one uh I have on the list here the cloud minders mm-hmm my just initial thought of it of this was obviously it's about obviously I keep saying that obviously it's about um, not so obvious to Ken. Ken, what's this episode about? Ken, you tell oh, me. Oh, don't start me with this one because <laughs> this this is literally about people in, in 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 class warfare and living above and living below and stolen right from troglodytes and everything else. So, All right, yeah, so he's got is, it, folks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't nerd, don't even start. I'm gonna give you back your nerd card now, Ken. Um, <laughs> well, just give me you know, put me on parole, <laughs> you know, and and then I, I can I can earn it back over time. But yeah, to me this. Uh, yeah, the the t- to me watching the episode and the title of the episode was you know it's like match game. Yep, it's a match. It it works just fine. Yeah, because the word cloud is in it. So I guess my interpretation was 
their mind is in the clouds because they're so aloof, you know, about, you know, because we have the artists and the poets and the, you know, the high society people living in the sky. And then we have the, as you said, the troglodytes, uh, the working class living on the ground. So, I mean, that's, it, it kind of works on two levels. It works on the very literal sense where, yes, they're in the clouds, but they're also, I feel like their their mind is in the clouds, hence minders. So, because for a while I thought this was called the cloud miners because I was thinking, oh yeah, the working class on the ground, they're like miners and they're providing, you know, for the life in the clouds. But yeah, you know, it's, this, this title works, but I think it's, it's, you can approach it from a couple of ways. That's why I put it on the list. I thought it was interesting that way. So yeah, I think so. Okay. Next up, Ken, the Savage Curtain. What are your thoughts? I, I like this title. I, I, I one. I, I really like this episode. I, I couldn't say that there was a direct correlation, other than I felt that um, it was a stage, right? So you see, so you have this this alien race, um, the the rock people from Star Trek Five. Uh, are... <laughs> Shatner got his rock man after all. <laughs> Shatner gets his rock man, trying to ascertain which is stronger, right? Good versus evil type of thing. And and it's a play that's happening before them, and obviously it's savage. It's there's a lot of violence. There's all these things. So, as I guess as a younger person, that's that's kind of how I how I pulled it all together as being a uh, a show uh, that's being watched, uh, you know, from from a different another vantage point, and uh, very fascinating to me. Yeah, because they they want to know the concepts of good and evil. Uh, so mm-hmm. we tap into our savagery of our past. So that makes sense. And then you know, curtain being the stage. That's cool. I never thought of it that way. Uh, I guess I never know how I thought of it. Just one of those titles that was the title. I didn't put much thought into it until we were looking at this at this topic of conversation. But yeah, that, that makes sense. So they're on the stage and the curtain and all that, which is you know, the, this trope happens a lot in Star Trek. But even so, I found this was a a very very good episode. Entertaining. Abraham Lincoln in space. I mean, come on, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, it was. I I, I like this episode. I, I it ended cheaply, unfortunately. It you know. Um, they're out. They're out manned. Uh, you know, Sarek's dead, and uh, and they get into a fight and they just run away. And it's like the others have fled. You have won. I just went, wow. So, okay. Yeah. So no no curtain call for the Savage Curtain. No no curtain yeah. call. But no curtain I, I, call. I liked I liked the whole concept of it. I liked the whole um, uh, the idea too that 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 Abraham Lincoln was Kirk's hero. To me, that that seems very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So our final episode on our list here is Requiem for Methuselah, which is, again, a very pretentious title. Uh, <laughs> I mean, both words. <laughs> it's like hard to spell when you're a child. But, uh, of course, this is referencing Methuselah, who was in the way to go through the genealogies in the Bible. Uh, he lived for fill-in-the-blank days. I, I apologize. I did not look that verse up in advance, but I believe he lived for 900 so-and-so years, then he died. That's how the verse goes. But it's implied in this episode the character Flint that we meet was Methuselah, and he was all these other characters, and the implication is he lives a very long time, and this episode is is his requiem because he's created this android companion for himself, and this is how he's going to, you know, finally live a satisfying life. So what did you think about this title for this episode, Ken? I loved it. I loved it. I thought this was... A, uh, I love the word requiem anyway. Hmm. It's funny because it's getting a lot of use in movies now, especially when they get beyond a trilogy. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know why. But it, it seems to fit very, very well. And, and there was something about this episode the first time, the first few times I guess I saw it. I don't remember the exact first time I saw it. But um, I just really liked it. I thought conceptually it was, it was really good. It was um, 
kind of like uh, you know Lana of Trials w without um, you know all 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 the gimmickry. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean it it took something that could very well have gone in a very different direction, and um, I thought it was a very impactful episode. I it was a plot device we'd seen, so to speak, with the androids again, and that that okay that that happens, but. Just the idea that this one being was so many different characters, um, and how how they came up with Flint, right? When you think of all <laughs> the incredible names, you know, wasn't he Da Vinci and uh, it was all yeah. kinds of things, right? Brahms, you know, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the end, he's, he's Flint. <laughs> okay, but at any rate, um, great episode. I thought the title was uh, was wonderful, and and it sounded very sophisticated. You know, I, I'll, I will posit this to you, Ken. I think Requiem for Methuselah, it could have been titled What Are Little Girls Made Of? And it would have made a lot more sense, huh? For that to be, if that's going to be, a, if What Are Little Girls Made Of is going to be a title of an original series episode, I think Requiem for Methuselah would be the one for it, right? Yeah, yeah. Except that you can't use Requiem for Methuselah in any other episode. That's, you know, maybe not. <laughs> 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 Since he was. Right. So, yeah, hey, no, I, I hear what you're saying. But at any rate, I, I like this episode a lot. And um, I, I think the title was, was, it was a classy title. You know, it was, it was yeah, it was snobby. It's not, see, I can't decide. Like, I have a fine, obviously me personally, I have a fine line between classy and pretentious. And I'm not sure where that line is. <laughs> But <laughs> I guess and the children shall lead. I find very pretentious because it's a terrible episode. And how dare you try to make it try to elevate it just with this episode. But this is a good episode. So I want to take I think I said it was pretentious. I'm going to take that back. You know, yeah, but it's it, it relates because right. the character is claimed to be Methuselah. So it works. That's that's really the difference. It isn't a it isn't something like, oh, like the one we're about to talk about. Right now. So, so let's move on. To our to our final our final title we'll be discussing today, the undiscovered country. Now this is obviously Star Trek six, but originally Nick Meyer wanted it to be Star Trek two. Isn't that right, Ken? That's right, he did. And uh, when he got more clout, he could title it what he wanted, and that's why with Star Trek six came the undiscovered country, which, um, you know, it, it's Shakespearean. It undiscovered country, I guess, relates to death. You know, it's a country none of us have discovered, and we all will one day. But, uh, you know, how it applies to, how it would apply to Star Trek II or Star Trek VI directly, it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, well, Gorkon toast to the undiscovered country, and everyone's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he has to clarify the future. Like, oh, yeah, oh, the future, yeah, to the future, yeah. So it, it, it's, it's pretty vague, uh, but it thematically ties in. I mean, Kirk brings it up at the end. When he's giving yeah. his big speech at, at Kittimer. So uh, they, they they find a way to tie it into everything, and I think it works. And uh, you know, it's nice not to have a title with, like, Revenge or something, Return or something like that, right? I mean, The Undiscovered mm -hmm. Country, it's, it's a classy title. There you go. See, I, I found the line between pretentious and classy, and I find this classy, The Undiscovered Country. Yeah, because so. – and it's easy when you love the movie. Right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it, 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 it just helps it along. But there's not a lot of films out there that, that – that have the courage to do what they did with this, which is to give it a a title that isn't you know exactly relatable to the film. Uh, you know, if you if you think along the timelines of when this was made, you had uh, Chernobyl, you had the wall falling down, you had Glasnost, you know, openness, things along those lines that that were were occurring. 
and you know you pull it back to kind of this this Shakespearean, which all of us, by the way, were big Nick Meyer fans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we loved the quotes that, that he wrote in Star Trek Two and Star Trek Four, and this is a brilliant movie, all, all in itself. But if you're if you're not a Star Trek fan, I don't know if it would pull you in. If you think about it, right? Well, they kept it very simple: Voyage Home. Um, you know, Final Frontier, First Contact, Generations, you know, Beyond. They, they beyond? To, beyond, you know. And, and so, you know, there's there's the, the titles of the movie. None of them have anything that's really close to the undiscovered country where it's, it's you know, it's it's a metaphor um, that, that you have to pull in. You're right. They did write it into the film. I don't know how they would have done that for Star Trek II, but they could have very similarly. And, of course, you know, they were talking about universal armageddon so death being the undiscovered country could be universal armageddon uh, so i could see it that way so i i, I like it I, I you know I, I do i think it i think it's pretty cool it's just one of those things where it's like okay you know this is about um um you know can can they come up with universal peace without killing each other and it is in itself a walking breathing dichotomy so it's kind of cool that way but it's a tough title you know hearing you go through the other titles of the movies there i hadn't put this on the list but let's talk about it now you know the final frontier right that that almost like if you put the final frontier into a thesaurus you could come up with the undiscovered country right it's like you know something that's that's un, you know it's out there it's unknown so that would work for that and then that got me along and this is not we're going off script here guys that's what we do standard orbit tangents copyright trademark um you know gmg365 <laughs> no one knows that reference go on i think almost every line of the opening of star trek has been turned into a title right so like space the final frontier that's star trek 5 these are the voyages you know, infamously, the series finale of the Enterprise, uh, of the Starship Enterprise, right? Is there an episode called Ongoing Mission or Continuing Mission? I don't think there is. I mean, there's lots of other things from Star Trek that have been called the Continuing Mission, but I don't think they've had a proper title of anything. Um, I know of. To explore strange new worlds. There's an episode of Enterprise called Strange New World. Mm-hmm. Seek out new life and civilizations. Maybe not that one. Maybe not, maybe not that one. Um, and then, of course, you know, to boldly go... Where no man has gone before. Boldly go. I'm shocked there has not been an episode. Maybe the series premiere of Discovery will be called to boldly go. <laughs> maybe that's a good option. Yeah, it's a movie tagline a lot. Right. right. It's always at the bottom of like boldly go 2009. Yeah, we yeah, got it. Boldly. And of course, where no man has gone before, and then where no one has gone before. Both iterations both have titles. So that's I just right. got, got on that line of thinking. So they they really mined that uh, opening monologue from Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> pretty well huh <laughs> i think they have they've done a nice job with it but yeah i i get final frontier you know leaving the galaxy exp- you know into right what if space going. is the final frontier the galactic barrier is the true final final frontier so i guess yeah but <laughs> <laughs> uh you know the 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 opportunities lost uh, a great title by the way, yeah, you know, Final Frontier is a, is a it, great it could title. be for any Star Trek movie, really. <laughs> so it, it really could for anything that's big. You know, some some are bigger than others. Let's let's put it that way. Or the risk is is larger. You know, or, or more intense. But it, it, in 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 my opinion, the undiscovered country is a is a very clever title. Um, but I I always wondered if you were not a Star Trek fan, would it be something that would keep you from seeing it? 
because it sounds so strange or it sounds too sci-fi, even though it's Shakespearean? Or is it something that, um, you know, would gain? And I'll never know because I was deep into Star Trek fandom uh, when The Undiscovered Country came out. And because it was Nick Meyer, there was no way you were going to keep us from it. And um, and we knew we had a lot to make up for for Star Trek V. So I think all of that combined gave that um, a lot of clout, right? Um, it just just the title itself. It, it, although I know uh, in talking to people outside of it, and they, well, what's the undiscovered country? And it's like, oh, just go see it. <laughs> you know, it's it's a good movie. It's a great movie. You didn't really get into talking about why it's titled that way. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're in a franchise like that, you can get away with it more because people are going to go see Star Trek Six. I mean, who cares what the subtitle is, right? I mean, that that they drop the numbers for the next generation movies and just you know, generations, first contact, only one word other than first contact, right? Even now, right, into darkness, beyond, right? So people are going to go see it regardless of what it is. I mean, there's a little more leadway than if you were just coming out with a movie like called The Undiscovered Country. You'd be like, what is that? So I think that that would apply more to to if it was not affiliated with an established franchise. But I, but I, I see what you're saying. I see, I don't, I, but I don't think anyone anyone who was going to see Star Trek Six would not not go see it because of that title. <laughs> well, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I think that uh, it, it, one thing a lot of these titles did was uh, I know for me anyway. You know, I I I, I began to read Shakespeare and, and become more familiar with them and. It was at a good time, especially when I was in college, because I remember my first English course was was Macbeth, and you know, we had to read that, and a lot of other, and we had to read it in high school too. So a lot of that stuff was kind of neat to see how it all kind of framed in the Star Trek world, because it gave me something that was current to relate it to. Yeah, you know, and and so you know, for a while there, I w- I was reading a lot, and um, you know, I've got the complete works and. Uh, when my kids were little, those were things that 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 I would read, like in downtime and and things like that. So it was it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool. I, I'm definitely a lot more cultured because of Star Trek, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or at least understand a lot more culture references at a younger age than I would have otherwise. You know, Sherlock Holmes and Shakespeare and all these you know all these lofty titles. You 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 seek out to seek out strange in your life. You, know, you seek out what the title what these titles mean you know because you want to understand because when you're a star trek fan and like you were saying ken like uh, we're we're a unique breed right we know all the titles of all the series like that's that's some pretty in-depth some, some of us don't some of us clearly don't <laughs> <laughs> but uh you want to find out every last thing about these episodes that you love you want to find out oh who are the gods destroying right you want to find that stuff out so and you know the it's just man titles today like you know as you guys who listen to the podcast know i do another podcast called always hold on to smallville because smallville is my favorite show overall and it's because i was the same age as clark kent as he was on the show and there's a whole story behind that but the point is i'm making now smallville has one word episode titles like i don't know if they set out to do that but i think maybe they got a few in they say you know what let's just keep this for the rest of the series so it has 218 episodes Wow. All of them have one word title. And even I get confused because there's episodes called like Red, Crimson. I'm like, okay, I get, I'm getting those confused, right? Like, like <laughs> you, you really, they really start delving deep into the thesaurus to find other ways to say things. Because when they've established they can only use one word episode titles, it really limits your options. Uh, and then especially because they never thought they were going to go 10 seasons. I mean, they thought five, seven if we're lucky. But man, they were, they were really stretching at the end. Um, it makes it easier and harder to remember because, I mean, it's easy to remember what they are, but it, it's easier. It's also easier to get the confused, which is harder to remember which episode is which. You know, nowadays, you know, they, they've broken that trend now, like the whole CW-verse, uh, Arrow, The Flash, and all them. They have full episode titles now. And actually, one of my favorite titles, uh, this ties into what we're talking about here today, Ken, 
is uh, the uh, penultimate episode of uh, Arrow season one is called The Darkness at the Edge of Town. And that reminded me of the city on the edge of forever. I was like, yeah, man, that's cool. I don't oh, know what it's it means, rip- but it's cool. It's a blatant ripoff. Yeah, no <laughs> but there was nothing about time travel or cities on the edge of forever or, you know, five minutes to midnight or <laughs> the darkness at the edge of town. Come on. <laughs> Come on. But I would see, I was so used to teenagers of Smallville being like, uh, Jim and I, <laughs> you know, sure. Like, what, what, okay, sure. That works. But <laughs> anyway, so the episodes, when you're, when you're an Uber fan, like we are episode titles really mean something. So it, it was fun. It was fun kind of delving into these and, and kind of hearing about, you know, what we each took from them over the course of Star Trek, because, you know, there's, I think of all the shows, original series kind of stretched the furthest, um, which is tight with, with its titles. And, you know, and then, and one final thought to go to the complete other end of the spectrum, I'd say the most blatant, obvious title from the original series is for the world is hollow. And I have touched the sky. Cause literally a guy says it <laughs> and then dies in that episode of the same title. Like, Oh, well, what should we call this one, guys? Well, I don't know. Let's call it that. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> what was the last line? <laughs> oh man! Well, it's been fun discussing TOS episode titles, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this past week. Here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. You know what the saddest part of this movie was for me? Not not the Kirk died. Not the Enterprise D got destroyed when that little girl dropped her teddy bear in the hallway oh. and was like, "Oh!" And then, like my mom was like, "That's okay. Data's gonna go back and get it." I remember she told me that. <laughs> no, they just stepped they, on it, right? They lingered on it as well. Melodic tricks. I really like the ants scene. Okay. The red ants. Yeah. I thought that was really cool and it really fit. And I really hated the gopher at the beginning. Yes. Because I'm like George Lucas, get your greasy fingers off this movie, okay? Stage nine, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. I took a Bible and I prayed on the Bible. Please, God, let me see Tomorrow Never Dies. And I still didn't get to see Tomorrow Never Dies. 19 years later, I'm an atheist. I think it all comes back to that moment. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes and helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at trek.fm, you can always find us on trek.fm contact and look in the sidebar on the show page or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. So let me talk to you for a second about Patreon, Zach. Patreon is the program that Trek FM employs in order to get donations to keep the network coming to you commercial-free. It is wonderful. Most of the hosts here on Trek FM are big contributors to Patreon and found our way onto the network through Patreon. So if you can uh, spare any money, uh, and we don't care what the denomination is, it really means a lot to us because there is a lot of content that we're putting up there, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of programming, a lot of equipment that we need. So 
please, if you can help us out, we'd appreciate it. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash trackfm, and you can you can click any donation you want. And we do have some incentives for you. So for $15 a month, you get to join the Patrons Roundtable where you podcast and, and you know, Again, that is where a lot of us started. It was on the round table. I was on the very first one. I had a blast. And if you can contribute $25 or more per month, then you get associate producer credits for whatever show you like. And we love our associate producers. So please, 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 if you, if you have the ability, it is more than appreciated. And speaking of our associate producers, we'd like to thank Renee Roberts, Richard Rutledge, and Aaron Harvey. Thank you so much, always, for your support for both Standard Orbit and the Trek FM network. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701. You can find Richard at RUT8972. And you can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at GeekFilter. All right, friends, it's time to announce the winner of our iTunes review giveaway contest. We had, you know, a few reviews from, uh, from more than one country. So thanks to everybody out there who left a review. Uh, the one that we selected was Thrusters on Full by Blackster47. And they had this to say, On our new hosts, Zach and Ken the Commodore, this has become weekly appointment listening for me, covering all kinds of details about principally TOS and beyond. The hosts are likable, engaging, thought-provoking, and importantly, not afraid to find the fun in Star Trek. And in TOS, there's plenty to be had. Keep flying, guys. Well, thanks, Blackster47. We, we try to... You know, keep it light, but, uh, you know, keep it thought-provoking as well. So, you know, I think that summed up uh, summed up what we're all about nicely. So thank you so much for that. So if you want to send us, you know, a personal message, an email, whatever format you see fit, uh, let us know about your address, and we will ship this thing out to you. Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1 on Blu-ray. It is yours. Thank you for the five-star review. Five stars were not a requirement, but... We got five stars nonetheless, so again, thank you everyone that left us a review and uh, making it so. All right, Ken, if people want to contact you, find you on the internet, where can they do that? So if you're looking for me on the network, you can you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm always on there, uh, pre, post shows, talking different subjects with all our listeners. And you can also find me on Twitter at Boston SCPO. That means Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H, and I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show from the early 2000s, and we're on Twitter at AlwaysMallville, with one S. And also, I'm around the Babel Conference as well, it's always great to talk to you guys on there, making conversation about our shows, other shows, general Star Trek topics, anything, really. Love to talk to you guys on there. So thanks for listening, everyone. Join us again next time here on Trek.fm for another episode of Standard Orbit.